Hi, this is Kaylee. I'm a violence prevention coordinator at UCI Care. Hi, I'm Melissa. I'm also a violence prevention coordinator at UCI Care. And you're listening to The Narrative Project. Hello and welcome back to The Narrative Project. Today we will be continuing our conversation conversation on generational trauma with our lovely guests. Let's have everyone quickly reintroduce themselves with their names, pronouns, affiliation, where they're calling from, and a description of themselves. I'll start off. My name is Vicky. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the marketing intern at the UCI care office. I'm calling from my apartment in UC Irvine, and my background is a blue care office logo thing, and I'll popcorn it onto Catherine. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm, my pronouns are she, her. I am a outreach and prevention volunteer intern at UCI Care. My background right now is my dorm at UCI, which is where I'm calling from as well. Hi, my name is Sabrina. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, I am a peer educator for the RTK Champs um, Peer Education Program for Care. And I'm calling in from the Arroyo Vista Alpha Chi Omega House um, at UCI. Hi, everybody. My name is Betsy Serrano. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I'm the right to know, one of the right to know champs coordinators, and I'm calling in from Henderson, Nevada. Hi, y'all. My name is Dong Yang Ngo, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm an advanced field study intern for UCI Care, but today I'm joining as a participant representing WISE, which is the Wellness Initiative in Social Ecology. And my background is of an otter wearing a hat, and I'm calling from my apartment in UC Irvine. Thank you all to our lovely guests today. And in part one, we talked about generational trauma and particularly we elaborated on um, parental relationships. So the next question we'll be having is, how can we open discussion of generational trauma to our parents slash relatives? I feel like sometimes people don't know how they are, like how unhealthy their patterns are until they realize how it affects people that they love. So I feel like if you come from a standpoint, like you're talking to your parents and you confide in them about how you've been feeling um, and how their patterns have been, um, or, not patterns, habits have been affecting you negatively. Um, I think they can see it from a more empathetic viewpoint and then hopefully like make that change uh, so that they can like improve, you know, your relationship. Because um, if you just come at a, a more um, a accusatory um, standpoint, then they're not going to be as willing to change. So I think it's just important to show how like you've been affected. I really agree with that, Serena. I think you made a good point. I think being self-aware and acknowledging um, kind of what's happening um, is really important. And that kind of leads me into what I was thinking. Um, I feel like language is very important. Um, and I think that we're in a really good progressive period when using uh, the correct language in order to be inclusive. Uh, but I think that in this particular way, um, I try to use language within my own family as far as like, using the terms that are happening. Um, so for example, if there is a case of any sort of sexual abuse or uh, physical abuse, calling it what it is, not calling it, you know, the nicknames that they call it or just like the run around like, oh, this is what happened, you know, nonchalant, very, um, like I try to use like a very serious demeanor and like, this is what happens. And 
like this is the the term that this is called um and i think that in using that with um like for example with my own mother and my grandmother there has been like a change of the way that they viewed it and it's as simple as using like different terms for the things that are happening within the family or the people that we know about and i thought that was really interesting because um it just showed like it just supported this argument that language is so important in the way that we use it um so i think that that's that could be a really good first step um because i know that when doing this it could be really difficult um especially to folks like i know with my family it's very hard to have conversations like this but I think that when we go into it, just labeling um, with the right usage of language, that could be helpful. And I also think educating is another big point. Um, and that's just in any way, um, either, you know, my parents are on, on Facebook, so just sending out little memes that talk about this stuff, um, but also just like, it, just knowing your own background and having conversations with them, if there's like a famous case going on or anything like that, um using utilizing that time as a way to you know bring in what you know um i just think education is power so i would say language and education is, are huge yeah betsy that you brought a great point about language and also props to you for doing that for your um, mom and grandma i think that's so brave i i personally am more of a scaredy cat so so back then i used to be afraid to bring it up to my parents like hey I, you did this and it um and like i was very straightforward in how i said it it's like you did this and it made me feel this way but because it was so dismissed and i was pretty young at the time i would say like middle schooler after that one encounter i like never really brought it up but like betsy said language is so important because recently i've been trying to open up that discussion with my parents by being very serious so that when they see that after they try to joke around with me about it and I'm not reacting to it. It's almost like, I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but sometimes it's almost like talking to younger children. It's like, if you don't react to their jokes or react to the way that they're like messing around about it, they're like, oh, she's being serious. And they'll actually take into account and be serious back. So I definitely think that like language and education is very important, but I like what Sabrina said too, to not come at them in a very like accusatory way. I think the way that I've been doing it is focusing on how to be compassionate to them in the sense of focusing on helping them resolve or cope better with the trauma that I know they have. For example, um, I'm trying to teach my parents how to practice self-care as a way to like, you know, sort of cope healthily with some of the stuff that they go through. And that way it's not a negative and then they put it onto us. So for example, with my mom, she has a very big frugal mindset. So I've been trying to, you know, tell her, hey, you know, it's not bad to like treat yourself sometimes, like get something nice for yourself. And it's like she also has some um some issues with saying that she's not pretty or not feeling pretty enough. And it really hurts me as especially as her daughter to hear her say things like that about herself. So I've been encouraging her to, you know, wear what makes you feel confident, go take those pictures, you know, look in the mirror and tell yourself that you are pretty, you are beautiful. And I think that that's actually been helping her. Like she's really getting into taking pictures of herself and, you know, it makes her feel confident. And when I validate her with my words, she does feel empowered by it. So I'm slowly trying to educate her how to empower herself as well, which I think is important when we talk about 
how can we help our parents, you know, maybe practice self-care for themselves to cope better with some of the trauma that they have. Thank you all for sharing and Donan, I love that. And that's amazing. Also, I just wanted to add on like having these conversations are really difficult, especially like starting and taking initiative to even engage in such conversations because with our parents, they're like these figures we're supposed to look up to and we have to like respect them. But sometimes when we want to stand our own ground because we know what's good for us, it can be kind of hard having these conversations because they might take it another way, even though that's not what we mean. So like moving on, another question I have is how can we bridge the gap between generations about mental health? Because an example is how each generation cope differently, like you all mentioned, but how can we bridge this gap between all the generations so that we can advocate for mental health? I do believe that vulnerability fosters connection. And I think that that's something that I've learned within my own family, especially about things like mental health um, and any you know significant trauma that we all have gone through. But specifically with mental health, um, I think when you asked this question, Vicky, I thought about my grandmother because, um, you know, they don't really understand or she didn't really understand the um, the idea of having anxiety and panic attacks, but she was dealing with that. However, um, back in Mexico, where she's from, it was very like, oh, you know, you just um, the the diagnosis that they gave to her was very different. And so I was but she was showing the symptoms. And, you know, when she came here to the States, they prescribed her medication. Um, and so it was this moment of like, hey, I've gone through the same things. Like, th is this what you feel when you have a panic attack? You know, and then I'll name off what I feel and she'll be like, yes, yes. And it was like this moment of like, we're both being vulnerable. We're both opening up. And that I feel is like what was helping that connection to then understand like the significance of the mental health, right? So that was like the moment where she understood like, oh, this isn't about you know, me or um, like, um, like a physical problem, or at least like what they were telling her, it was like, she understood the impact that your mental health could have on you, especially like panic attacks, because um, they're horrible. And so from there, she was more open to listening to me in regards to, you know, uh, um, practicing the meditation videos that I was sending her or like doing the yoga poses and like practicing all these little things that normally she wouldn't be open to because it's like, what is this type of stuff? You know, she didn't really know about that. Um, so I, that's where I feel like it was, the, it, was a, it was a really good moment for us to be able to connect based on the struggles that we both had. It's just having that conversation. I was very fortunate that we were, that we had that opportunity to have the conversation to open up about our own struggles which then led to the understanding, like, this is more normal than you think. Um, and this could be talked about. It's okay to talk about this kind of stuff. I love that. <laughs> the little meditation and stuff for your grandma is so sweet. I also, I also resonated with how it's important to normalize, um, like, talking about these things because, you know, like, they sacrifice so much so that I can go get educated at college and stuff. So now I'm finally like, I'm here, like I'm taking my psych classes, I'm learning about mental health. So I think in turn, like when I come home, they're like, oh, what are you learning? And, and then I talk about um, like all the things I'm learning <laughs> psychologically um, or about psychological issues and stuff. And 
you know, sometimes it's difficult not to um, psychologically analyze my whole family, but sometimes like that's just what ends up happening in conversation. Um, and so I just think it's like important to like when with bridging the, the gap between generations, like, oh, I've recognized this and um, I feel like because people don't always like want to take advice. So it's good to not be like, I think you should do this to fix this. But I think it's just talking about it, like normalizing it. Like we're all human beings. We all go through things. Maybe uh, this is why you go through things. Um, so yeah, just having that conversation with my family members really helps. I really love that for both of y'all. And I'm glad that you guys are both actively, like proactively doing it in your own family and opening the discussion. And I think um, I resonate with a lot of what y'all both said. And I guess just to kind of add on to what's already been said, I think for me, a way to also like bridge that gap is like what's already said, to not really come at it from like an aggressive way of like, you know, this is what it is, you should be doing this, or you, this is the way that you made me feel, et cetera, et cetera. Because really when I think of generational trauma, there isn't like, it's a it's a complex dynamic because it isn't simple as an abuser and the abused because in some sense both people have been abused both people have been going through the trauma if that makes some sense so i think just bringing it up as for me my family is very we don't really i think it's part of the vietnamese american culture or asian culture in general we don't really proactively talk about our feelings so i wouldn't actively tell my parents, oh, I'm just really down today, right? So a way that I've been trying to do it is I'll kind of do it in a very chillax way, normalizing the language like we talked about. I'll be like, oh, is it just me? Or do you do you also have a day where you just feel like you can't do anything? And my mom will be like, yeah, I, I have those days where I cannot get out of bed. I don't know why. I'm like, yeah, mom, I think, I think that's just like a de little depressive episode we're having. And then she'll be like, what's that? And she'll like actively engage and want to know like, okay, what does depression mean? What does anxiety mean, right? So just using it, at least in my own family, normalizing the language, but also not using humor, but bringing it up like in a very lighthearted way, you know, like mom, sometimes there's these days where I just feel like this. Do you ever feel like it too? And then if they say yes, then like we can talk more about it, but if they say, no, I don't. And I'll be like, oh, do you kind of want to know what it feels like? And then if they say no again, then I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, I'll bring it up another day. But that's how I do it. I don't know if it's the most helpful way though. I feel like y'all all mentioned like really good methods. And like, I want to say like, there's no just one right way of doing it because every family is different. The trauma we have in these families are also different. So it's important to like acknowledge that when having these conversations that it can work differently for everyone. So just because this works for a particular family doesn't mean it will necessarily work for yours. And I think this is like an ongoing process having these conversations, but every time you initiate a conversation or try it, a change is being made. And I think that's like a really great step forward. Um, moving on. The last question we have for today before I let y'all go is, how do you think we can heal from generational trauma and how can we support those who go through generational trauma? This might seem like a very heavy loaded statement, but I really do feel like it starts with you. I think that I personally have really told myself like it stops here. Like 
generations after me, um, I want to be able to plant the compassionate, like whatever trauma was passed down onto me. And then even including the one that I've gone through, like it stops here and um, I'm going to do whatever I could to fix that, you know, and that doesn't have to just be through talk therapy, right? That could be through yoga, that could be through like more holistic healing. And I know the care office, you know, offers a lot of that stuff, but um, just looking into like what works for you. Um, like I said, it doesn't have to be like the traditional talk therapy, but I really do feel like putting in the work and um, healing yourself is going to allow you to have better parenting styles, to have better coping mechanisms, to have better communication uh, skills. So in that way, your future generation, um, it's more of a healing process. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect, right? I'm going to still have my mistakes and things are still going to happen. That's just what life is. And that's how humans are. But it's more so like under, like, it's just, a, it's just, just honestly, like fixing the wound, right? Like not letting it be infected anymore. Just making sure that you're, you're caring for it and closing it up. So then that way it doesn't keep continue being an issue. Um, so I guess to summarize that, I do feel like it starts with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, like I do want to raise my children. I want to learn from my parents' mistakes and their parents' mistakes and like try to implement healthier um, parenting styles and like in my own in the future. And I think it's also really important like to also choose a partner with the same mindset because you are gonna have like, you know, if you have a partner in the future that you raise children with, they're gonna come with their own like generational trauma and their own baggage. And that can snowball into your children's lives. So I, it's just kind of important like you shouldn't not choose someone just because they have baggage, but as long as they have the same mindset on how they want to raise your children with you, like that's super important because like, it's not just a one-sided um, effort, like it takes a village, you know? So I think it's just important, like knowing how, uh, you know, your future generations are going to be affected by your decisions. Yeah, I definitely want to say to both of y'all, period. Y'all put it into such eloquent words. Um, for me, I definitely agree. And I also think just giving trauma a voice, um, which is like basically what we're doing now, like allowing for people who have gone through generational trauma, know that they're not alone. I think generational trauma to many people who I've spoken with before, didn't even know that it was a thing. You know, sometimes we wonder why, why are we, why do we have these issues? Or why are we the way we are? Or why do I have this anxiety that I just don't know where it fosters from? And sometimes it really does come from generational trauma. So you just keep on educating and keep on allowing this trauma to have a voice. I think it's really important. And like Betsy said, the healing starts with you, you know? So I, I feel like everyone says this so much, but healing really is nonlinear. So just reminding ourselves too that healing isn't easy. It takes work. It's going to hurt sometimes and it won't always be smooth sailing. But as long as we're actively trying to break the cycle and actively, you know, reaching out, getting the help that we need and reaching out to other folks who are going through the same thing as we are, it makes a difference. Whether it's small or big, I think that's how it can start to help others heal and help others know that they're supported and validated. I do just want to add just one more thing. I think that also, um, I understand that sometimes you're not going to fix everything right, even within your own generation, that also could be a possibility. But I feel like there is the um, modeling is like huge, right? So 
if we're showing up to heal and to fix the generational trauma, or not fix it, but to heal it, um, when our future generations see that, that will become the new norm. So it just becomes like this generational healing as well, right? Because life is going to happen. This isn't going to stop. But I also feel like modeling the, you know, we want to grow, we want this personal growth and we want to heal. I feel like future generations, that'll be like you're planting a seed in that, right? So. Thank you all for your amazing insight. And to wrap this up, I just want to say thank you all for coming out and sharing your thoughts on the experience. I appreciate your vulnerability and willingness to create this space. On that note, this marks the end of our discussion here. But to everyone listening, this is just a start. Please carry on this conversation at home and among friends. And for more discussion on similar topics and exploring lived experiences, join us back here on the Narrative Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Narrative Project Podcast. We hope you all enjoyed the dialogue we had today. Please remember, should you need support from the care office, please call us at 949-824-7273 or email us at care at uci.edu. Our services are available to UCI students, staff, and faculty members Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The UCI Counseling Center can also be accessed at 949 824-6457 and offers 24-hour access to counselors by phone. Waymaker's 24-hour hotline at 949-831-9110 for South Orange County or 714-957-2737 for North Orange County provides resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. Human Options 24-hour hotline at 877-854- 3594 provides resources, safety, and support for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. For those outside of Orange County, the National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-4673 or through online chat at rainrain.org for resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached at 1-800-799-7233 or through online chat at thehotline.org for resources and referrals for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please be sure to share it with someone you know and join us for our next conversation. Bye for now.